I didn't come to this one singing. I should have. I didn't have a song in hand. What song were you singing earlier? What in Snoop Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. You always sing that song. <laughs> it's a good song. All right. Uh, welcome to the Mouthpiece Podcast. This is your host, Ezra Hernandez, with my co-host, the one, the only, my partner in crime, the legend, the myth, Jay Pacheco. I don't know what to say still. <laughs> not that. I mean, <laughs> that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the right I choice. I mean, just what sounds cool, like, ta-da, present. I don't know. Jade. I was looking like, I've been, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm trying to entrench myself in the, like, boxing Twitter, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And they take themselves so seriously. Like, I'm talking about, like, there's, like, they are very, take themselves very seriously. Like, like what's an example? I just think it? I'm a little bit looser. Like, I just seen one guy and he was like, we need a Suge Knight of boxing where you just smack around riders. What? Yeah, I know. And I was like, whoa. He said that? I know. I didn't get it. a controversial piece. Yeah, that's what I was saying. But I don't get it either because he's a part of the journalist. (laughs) So he's trying to be at least. So I don't get it. But whatever. I just, I think we have a good time with it, right? I think we try to have a good time with it. If you hear chewing, that's our dog. Oh, yeah. Little Atticus. We have to keep him busy somehow. So we give him a horn of something. We make him sound so bad. He's only four months old. No, he's as bad as we make him sound. He's probably worse. (laughs) No. He's pretty bad. He's a baby. Every day he gets older and he gets worse. You always act so tough about him, but then you're such like a softy, like when no one else is around. Yeah, he's a bad dog. That's why he's bad because we don't lie on him. He's not bad. He's a baby. Okay, so here we go to the fights. Let's start off with the big ones first. You know how I go. I always start off with the big fights. Virgil Ortiz versus Maurice Hooker. And um, oh yeah, that was a good one. Great fight. Great fight. In uh, competition for fight of the year, I don't think it is. The Strata Chocolate just happened. That was fight of the year. But this was right there. This was a very good fight. It's going to be up there, at least in the conversation, right? And uh, let's see what we took away from this fight with Virgil Ortiz. Was, uh, he was dominant. I, I, in a good competitive fight, he was obviously winning. I think, it, I think he lost maybe one round. I gave uh, Maurice Hooker one round, but I thought Virgil Ortiz was aggressive he was uh he was looking for the stoppage. You've seen that he had like in his mind he wanted to show that he was above Maurice Hooker, not just you know good enough to outbox him or not just good enough to uh you know win a decision. He wanted to look dominant against him. And if to do that he had to take some shots. And I don't really love that. I don't really love that his he allows himself to take those shots, especially from a guy like Maurice Hooker. But he did, and I don't think he was really ever afraid of the power i really don't i just feel like he just saw what marie sugar had and he just really pushed him back and applied a lot of pressure on him now the talk is going after this fight right is is virgil ortiz gonna fight someone like terence crawford or earl spence and i don't i don't see right now we're in the era of boxing right now uh where everybody wants to make that jump right away like at 22 years old you got to be ready for the best guys and i don't think the guys before them were doing what or doing what we're asking of these guys. I don't think Virgil Ortiz needs to fight Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford is the best in the world. He's about 33, 34 years old. Why does he have to make that jump? Are they in the same weight class? They are in the same weight class, yes. Oh, they are? Okay. But, I mean, doesn't he... Um, kind of like uh, that, that girl, the other girl, was she UFC? The one that used to was 23, and she was kind of saying the same thing. Like, why would I go for, like, the best right now? Like, when she, like... Work a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Carissa, uh, Carissa Shields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's moving to the MMA? She was saying that. Yeah. Um, Oh, never mind. I guess it's a little different, but no, no, it is that that's similar. I mean, I guess same idea, right? Because he's what twenty two. Twenty two years old. Yeah. 
And uh, that may, and well, I guess Garcia, well, Garcia's kind of climbing his way. But he's in the same boat. See, Ryan Garcia's in the same boat. I think they did, pretty much, I felt like they did equally uh, match each other what they did, right? Ryan Garcia knocks out um, Campbell. And Virgil Ortiz knocks out Maurice Hooker. Now this shows that they are above the gatekeeper. They're they're ready to go in contention. But there's there's contenders in there. It doesn't automatically have to be the best guy. Yeah. There's other contenders there they could fight that are still interesting fights that is is allows them to grow into their full talent. That's kind of what we were talking about with Haney though. Remember when Haney was saying, like, no, I don't want to fight Luke Campbell, he's not a winner or something like yeah. that. But we were still saying he's pretty he's still very good. He's yeah. still very good and it, it still builds you because people yeah. know who Luke Campbell is. And people are gonna there's other fighters. There's Keith Thurman who's a, a world champ, ex world champ. There's a uh, Sean Porter, even Sean Porter's a better choice. But to say he's gonna fight the cream of the crop right in it right now, not saying he can't beat him, right? I would pick Terrence Crawford in that fight right now. But let's say two years from now, uh, maybe in a year and a half from now, Virgil Ortiz has two more fights under his belt. Mm-hmm. That, it starts getting a little bit more, you know, uh, the water starts getting a little bit more muddied. So I, I think we're jumping a gun on that. I, I think it's good, though, to call out guys like that because it, it builds your rep. It builds your, like, people start paying attention, start having the conversation about you. So I think that everything was handled correctly, but I think someone's got to pump the brakes on actually allowing him to get in the ring with someone like Terrence Crawford or Earl Spence right now, who I think they have to handle their own business uh, with each other. The things I like about Virgil Ortiz is he's super aggressive. And uh, like I said, he took shots. I think the the shots he took was because of the style he chose to come in on this fight with, which was a lot more aggressive. He wanted to show that he could get through, uh, run through Maurice Hooker. And uh, Maurice Hooker is not a joke. He's not a, you know, he's a very talented fighter. And, he, and if he's allowed to operate in the, the right areas of the ring with the distance and allow him to flurry and get the right uh, length on his punches, he's a very dangerous fighter. So, saying that, you know, Virgil Ortiz was hit. Now, I think that him getting hit has to do with more the style he chose than his actually abil- actual ability, but this was something I was worried about. Was he going to get drawn into a war a little bit? And he did in this fight. He got drawn into a war. And I wanted him to be able to avoid that. And I think that sometimes... I know you're trying to impress people and stuff like that, but sometimes you gotta uh, be more a little more patient. I don't think he was patient in this fight. I thought he was looking to look dominant in this fight, and I think he saw a weakness of pushing uh, pushing Maurice Hooker back. And I thought you were gonna say something completely. I, I almost it was like coming out, and I was like, "Why is this word coming out?" I was like, "I didn't get it." I'm glad you say that word either. No, it was I wasn't trying to. It was just like came spewing out, and I was just like, well, "Control your mouth." That's what I was thinking. You know but. Where you're in the gutter i was like what the heck is going on okay uh yeah so i think it was mostly because of the mentality virgil ortiz came in with virgil ortiz to me has way more angles he's a little more shiftier he's a little better defensively uh he controls the space a little bit more i don't think he did that in this fight but i think there was a reason because the mentality he's going in with and what he was trying to do and he got an impressive victory with that mentality took a few more shots i think uh people are so critical like People are critical on, like, the situation of the fight, um, and they forget, like, of past fights of guys. Like, if you look at uh, Tyson Fury going into Dante, the Dante Wilder fight, Tyson Fury had a very impressive performance the first fight after Wilder. And then his second with Otto Wallen was a tough fight, like, 12-round fight that uh, Tyson Fury had to kind of pull through. And you would think after that fight, if you judged it just off of that fight and been like, oh, I'm going to fight uh, Dante Wilder, he's going to get knocked out cold. Right, but what did Tyson Fury do? He had his best performance with that uh, with Dante Wilder. We we put a little bit too much on like emphasis on one specific uh, performance, right? 
And we you could do the same thing with like uh, Terrence Crawford, right? When he fought Mean Machine, he got hurt in that fight. So does that eliminate like, oh, Terrence Crawford's not a legit uh, fighter and he can get knocked out by these guys? No, if you fight good fighters, you're going to have tough situations. You're going to be in tough spots. You're going to get hit. It's going to happen. Now, I think that Virgil Ortiz has a lot. Uh, I think he could do a lot more in the ring that was actually showed that night. But that's what he just decided to show because he wanted to impress people. And I think he did impress people. I think he, he has people talking about him. And I think that he is going to be an elite guy in the weight, but just not yet. But I don't think that means just because they saw that, like, oh, Terrence Crawford run through him and all that. I've seen Terrence Crawford struggle in the ring as well. Terrence Crawford run the, struggled in the ring with, you know, had 12 hard rounds with Benavides. I don't think Benavides is that great of a fighter, I'll be honest with you. I've never, Benavides uh, has not beaten anyone or, you know, really done anything in boxing to show that he's at that level, but he gave Terrence Crawford a good 12 rounds. So it's hard to judge him like that. You know what I mean? And how come you always are so, I can't say excited, but you're always like eager to watch Benavides. No, no, the older. That's the other brother. There's two Benavides. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's the the he's the older brother, but smaller, and okay. he's the one that. Yeah, yeah. So the older one, he's actually he has he has more of the physical abilities to make it more exciting. Mm-hmm. But the other one is no, he just never lived up to the hype that he's had, right? And actually, uh, the the brothers trained at Wildcard when I trained there, and the the one that I'm talking about, he was very hyped up. He was like one of the mm-hmm. youngest prospects ever in boxing to sign a promotional deal and stuff like that, and just never grew into that spot. So I'm just saying, like, we gotta be we gotta be careful. People are so like critical and like, oh, he can't do this. And it's like, listen, relax, relax. Let this guy. He's gonna perform better when he has better competition. That's what, for all great fighters. They all do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it it just happens. I mean, Earl Spence has won decisions with guys that you know that aren't great and aren't elite level. It just happens. It's just as you're growing up the pro- you're going through the process. You have performances like that. And Maurice Hooker's a damn good fighter. We try to undersell him. But he's a damn good fighter. He's tough out for really anyone. So I was very happy with the performance. I don't think he's ready for the elite elite yet, but he's getting there. He's on his way. He's on the right track. And with Maurice Hooker, exciting performance. I want to see him fight again. I want to see him. Uh, I'd I love to see him fight again. He's a very good fighter. Uh, he's, he's, he's been matched tough for sure. He's been matched very tough. But I, I think that uh, he stays with PBC. They're going to put him in with some guys. He's going to get uh, good matchups, but winnable matchups and build him back up again because he's, he's a talented fighter and he's doing good things with Bomac. Okay, let's go to the next fight. Arthur Beertebev versus Adam Deans. And this is another oh, yeah. this is another one of those performances where people are, well, Beertebev was ring rust or he's getting old. It's excuses don't make any sense to me. No. How old is he again? He's 36 years old. Oh, okay. Mm. But Adam Deans, Deans, Adam Deans, yeah, Deans, Adam Deans, is just a better fighter than what you thought you were going into the fight. You know what everybody thought going into the fight? They had an automatic idea of what he could do and mm-hmm. what um, Bev should have been able to do to him. But they never seen this guy fight. They never had, you know, they didn't uh, do the research on him. So when they, yeah. you go in there with thinking one thing and it doesn't happen, you automatically create excuses. But why not just say that he was in a, with a better fighter than you originally thought? And this guy's pretty good, and he had a tough fight. He still got the finish. He still looked good. Yeah. But, oh, no, he's old or his ring rust. I hate those excuses. I hate them. I hate them. Earl Spence just got in a car crash where he nearly died, right? And he came back and fought Dan Garcia and looked amazing. Where, where was the ring rust there, right? Where was the, the, the thing there? Where were the excuses there? They're not there. They're only there when it doesn't come to the outcome that you want it to become. And listen, Beardbev, he's had these weaknesses. I, if you would have t- heard my scouting report before, I would have told you that he does things that make him susceptible. He only work, runs in a straight line. He can only go in a straight line. And uh, I thought Deneens was going to move a little bit more and try to get out on the outside of his uh, left foot. He never did that once. He went straight towards the right hand. 
And I thought that that's what got him hit a lot of the time. But he was a tough fight. He's a smart fighter. He can punt. He he was defensively. He did good. He did good at things. He did keep kept the distance. He he just did things that I liked in the fight. I thought he got a distance on his punches. Sometimes the beer red was staring at him too long. He would put it on him. The, the problem was, is when he got against the ropes, he's the kind of guy that needs space for his legs so he could spring forward. He, he didn't allow that. And I just love beer Bev to work however he wanted to work. Uh, beer Bev is a little bit limited as a fighter. And just because you built him up as a monster and you, in your guy's mind, you thought he was this, and he didn't have the performance that usually what you built up, doesn't mean he diminished as a fighter. He's been the same level guy. He's just fighting a little bit better competition. The guy that made it a little bit complicated because he's a southpaw and he's orthodox and it's a little trickier with the front leaf foot. Yeah. So, Beardbev versus, uh, you know, what they're trying to build the Joe Smith uh, Jr. or I think Joe Smith Sr. I don't know. I think it's Joe Smith Jr. Um, Joe Smith is a high-level club fighter, in my opinion. Not to put him down or anything like that, but the reason why he has fame is because he beat a 50-year-old Hopkins, right? And then he beat uh, Al- uh, Alvarez, right? Who who knows how good he was, what he had left in the tank or what, what he really was um, as a, you know, contender. It's just, I, I just, when I see this and I see the buildup, they're saying like, oh, Joe Smith's going to do this. I don't even know if Joe Smith's going to beat uh, Vazlov his next fight. So, Beardman is very good. I don't think he could beat Canelo. I wouldn't favor him to beat Canelo. I think Canelo would beat him. Uh, I don't think he would be. I don't think he beat Bavol. I, I, I just, I, he is limited. And I knew that going into this fight. So uh, nothing was surprising about this performance. It was a performance of the fight he usually does. He's very patient. He picks his shots. He's not like, uh, you know, like all out aggressive balls to the wall type of guy. He's not that type of fighter. He's more patient. He's like, he's pretty smart. Yeah, well, I think some people wanted. I think they wanted him to go in there and just like look to blow this guy out and around. It wasn't going to happen. I knew. I told you that wasn't going to happen going in. So he got the stoppage. It was if this is like what promoters have to really think about when they make these fights, right? They have to really think about is is this opponent capture the imagination or does the the does the crowd really believe this guy has a chance? Because when they don't, they really expect dominance. And if you can't get that, and this guy's better than what the people's Imagination is, it really affects the fighter. And Beardbev came out of this weekend actually less stock and people less excited about him, which is not what he needed. If he was looking for a Canelo fight or looking for, you know, <laughs> attention, he didn't need that. And to me, it was a performance that I expected, but it didn't work out because promoters matched him wrong. And that was, that's on them. And I think Denise is a better fighter than we gave credit for. Okay, next one. And this is the one that, this one hurt my heart. It really did. It hurt my it hurt my fake bake account, but it hurt my heart mostly. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Coley versus Christoph Galacki. There's a guy on Twitter, right? And I, I, like I said, I'm new to the boxing Twitter. I've been watching boxing my whole life, but it, just really diving deep diving into boxing Twitter. Um, and there's a guy named Dwyer, right? And everybody posts him, and they always make fun of him, and they post him ironically and stuff like that. And he has like a boxing podcast, mm-hmm. right? And I was I was a little nervous, right? I got a little worried when I saw Dwyer. Why? Because me and him have the same opinion on this fight, right? But I think Dwyer, I think Dwyer might be onto something here. I think people are being a little tough on Dwyer. I think Dwyer might be. I think Dwyer. I think Dwyer made some good points. He may have been wrong. It's no problem with being wrong. It's it's what's your thought process to the your you know what you came up with. And Dwyer was right, and I was right. I think Chris Ocklacky should not have been this big of an underdog. Now he did get destroyed in the fight, so the oddsmakers look like they're geniuses. Yeah, and they knew something I didn't. But I thought he was. Uh, Value-wise on bat, I thought Galaki was a, a good, smart play. It, going into that fight, two rounds in, it looked like he could not do anything. And Lawrence Acoli, 
had the kind of performance where maybe you couldn't see it going into the fight, but his trainers must have knew in the gym. Management must have knew. They must have knew that he would start putting it all together because this was a put-it-all-together type fight. He's so big for the 200 pounds. He's 6'5". His is a frame is humongous. He hits like an animal. And Galaki just could not do anything. And they had the southpaw orthodox, and Galaki could not do anything to get past that front foot. But I don't think he really wanted to even get into on, the, on that power. I think he started feeling the power early. And Lawrence Coley started going up and down with his shots. He's still real straightforward. I'm not going to lie to you. He's a real straightforward fighter. Like I said, he has no sauce. He still didn't have any sauce. Okay, his spaghetti with noodle, no sauce. And, you like um, those, though. Huh? You like those. I like, personally, they're not bad. You know, <laughs> it just depends on your taste. But uh, Lawrence Coley, he, he did good things. He's very disciplined. And if he can just master this style, the distance, and, hit, and he hits so hard at this weight, he, he's going to be a problem at this weight. He just is. Right, I still think he's gonna have a problem on the inside, and Galaki did catch him on the inside like twice. But I see the openings there, right? He's gonna have a problem on the inside. It just is, just because of his frame, and I don't think he's, you know, that coordinated on the inside when it comes to fighting. But the distance, he's dangerous. Now, will this carry up to heavyweight? Which is like the real question, because there's not gonna be a lot of money to remake at two hundred pounds. He's gonna have to go heavyweight if he wants to be a superstar. I don't know. I don't know because. One of his key things to him is his size and his power. And he's not going to be devastating power when he goes to heavyweight. And he's not going to be devastating size when he goes to heavyweight. All those things will just be normal. So it's like, does he stay at 200 and just be dominant with being able to use his physical attributes? Or does he go to heavyweight and hopefully all that holds up with just being able to outbox guys for 12 rounds that distance? And your power carries up enough to keep people honest? We'll have to see. But right now at that weight class, I'm curious. He was challenging the best of the best. I'm curious how he keeps looking going forward. Um, Galaki looked about done in this fight. Um, he looked like shot. It wasn't. I'm not saying it wasn't the Galaki that I've seen before. It just looked like if that's the if that's the new if that's the new level of if that's the new level of like the best guys at that weight. Galaki is no longer at that level of the weight. So to me, Galaki is probably done. To me, in boxing, he's right at the end. And O'Coley's just getting started. Very, very dangerous fighter with his size and ability. Yeah, he was great. He What'd you think? I think he looked good. You look good, right? He's yeah. humongous. Huge. <laughs> He's a big guy. He's a humongous. And it's like, I think even like I was hearing the stats, but then when he got in the ring, you're like, holy crap, this guy's humongous. Yeah, he's huge. And I think that that's what happened to Galaki. I think Galaki saw him and was like, this guy's even bigger than I like. <laughs> and like even, even I thought. Than I yeah, he's bigger than I imagined. Okay, this goes to the UFC. By far the strangest performance of the weekend was Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. And Kevin Holland, oh, yeah. we were calling him Big Mouth. Meryl was explaining with Dana yeah, White Big yeah. Mouth. And I was criticizing Dana White for calling him Big Mouth. And Dana White, there's a reason, right? There's a reason why Dana White is who Dana White is. And he might be a genius because Kevin Holland is a Big Mouth. <laughs> He's a Big Mouth that couldn't win a fight and had a breakdown, mental confidence breakdown. What he was, what he had, the performance was, is if you ever played like... A, a sports as a kid, right? If you ever play like basketball or something like that, there's that one guy, right, that comes and he's like semi talented, but he always acts like he doesn't care, like he's too cool for it, right? Oh my God, that was me in track. Were you that in track? You were too <laughs> yeah. cool for it? And that's what Kevin Holland is as a grown man, though. He never shook that. So when he's taking a beating in the ring, he's still talking all that. That's because all of his mental, his nerves, everything, his, his embarrassment, it's all spewing out. 
But I think, well, that's kind of like a common thing, I think, when people are kind of insecure. You notice how like those guys that like almost like talk too much trash too quick and you're like, I don't know, I have a few coworkers who won't be named uh, that do <laughs> that. And I always took it as like, oh, they have something they're super insecure about. Yeah. You know, or like, and, and it's like true that they really do whatever it is. I mean, but you know, like it's like they come off like way too strong. They do talk a lot. They talk too much and they talk too much shit. Yeah. You know? And so and, it's, yeah. And I think that's common in like everyday life, but it's, I don't think it's common too much in the ring or the cage mm-hmm. because usually what it takes to get in there is a confidence in yourself. Yeah. Right, but I don't think Kevin Holland has that confidence. It seems like he makes a lot of excuses for himself, and he's always looking to have an excuse on why he didn't do good. At the end of the fight, he said, "I told you, I never, I never said I wanted to be world champ." Right, he said that, and that's <laughs> like, just what's the point. Yeah, he's just spewing out stuff because he's embarrassed, and that's okay to be embarrassed. But there's a problem of not being able to embrace that or a man up and take it right, yeah. and to make a joke of everything. And that's what he did in this fight. And Jared Brunson's a professional fighter. Now, he may be limited. And I think this fight showed that Jared Brunson was limited. Because when it came to the stand-up, Kevin Holland would hurt him every time and rock him. But Jared Brunson's a professional fighter. And he will find a way to win. And he's not a man that questions himself. He's a man that takes it very serious. And he doesn't fall for the cheap tricks of someone talking trash to her. Something like that. Because he's been through it all. He's a professional fighter. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's the best way to put it. Because that's exactly how he looked out there. A professional. He yeah. looked like a professional. Kevin Holland made me think... He could never do anything in the sport at an elite level. That's what I took just from that performance. And yeah. he has abilities to do a lot of good things in the sport. But his mental is all messed up. And I think that his trainers kind of saw it that day. They were kind of laughing with him in the corner. I just think that he would have to have a whole new camp. He would have to get someone behind him that really reshapes his mental. Um, and some guys just don't want that. He don't want that. He wants to have an excuse. He doesn't think he's that level in his mind. And he... he he just may never get it. And that's the, that's the thing about fighting is like we disregard, right? We talk about speed or power or, you know, size and strength. And the mental is just as big as a factor. And it's just as a big as a skill set as being disciplined and being a professional. And he is not a professional. He didn't show up as a professional in that fight. And it was an embarrassing performance. It was embarrassing. And I hope that someone that he loves and trusts gets a hold of him and say, what are you doing? You're going to ruin all this. And it's because you can't seem to take seriously. You want to create excuses. And I'm not saying that because of the loss, right? The loss, it, it welcomes criticism. And when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he says, I don't like to work hard. He, he told you, people who will tell you who they are, you just have to listen. That's what Colin Cowherd always says. And I think this was a strong case of it. He's, he told you who he was. Whether his trainer said, no, that's a lie. He does work hard. He's trying to create excuses already. It says something about his mentality. And in this fight, it showed me that he just doesn't have the mentality. And if it gets hard... He's gonna get to quitting, mm. and it's just the thing. And it's, it, it's, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that happens to the best of us. I when I when I like would spar and stuff like that in boxing. Sometimes I would. It would be moments right where I thought the guy like, oh man, this guy might be too much for me. I wouldn't punch him hard. Really? Why? Yeah. Why would? Okay. Why wouldn't I do that? So he doesn't punch me hard. So I'd be oh. like, okay, let's see if we could keep it light a little bit. That's a mental weakness. That's saying in your heart that you don't have something that. He does. Now, you could, that could be shaken real quick in a fight. When someone hits you hard, then you start responding and stuff yeah. like that. But there's little things like that that we disregard. And Kevin Holland doesn't have that. When things are going good for him, he looks amazing. But when things start going south for him, that's a problem. And he well, looks like That's kind of it. an issue with a bunch of people we've seen lately, like uh, Conor McGregor. Yes. Thing. Yes. Yes. Um, who else? The Con- 
Kind of. Yeah, Burchard, but Burchard kept coming forward. Like, Burchard, know, he didn't have no quit in him. I mean. he, yeah. He kind of, you, you saw him back off, though. Well, not back off, but, like, he was sh- shook. Yeah, I think what Burchard got it from taking a beating. But I think you're right on the Connor one. Is mm-hmm. the Connor one is that. Is it when things start going south for Connor, in his mind, everything shuts down. And it's, yeah. people will say it's a stamina issue. It's not a stamina issue. It's a mental heart issue. Mm. It's your your stamina will sink, right? Is if your heart says, "I don't want to do this anymore." There's someone else too that we were saying was kind of like that. I can't think of who, though. Someone else you were kind of disappointed into. I can't think of them. Right okay, now. but maybe Broner was Broner. I think so. Oh, uh, Brain Broner. Yeah, Broner does have the same issue, and I I. I, I got to sell my stock on Kevin Holland. And I was really excited about Kevin Holland. I call him one of the best prospects in fighting. And he has all the abilities. But if he can't fix that mental, it's no good. And I don't want to short sell Derek Brunson's performance. Because Derek Brunson had a professional performance as a professional fighter. And I think that he earned himself. Not a title shot. But a shot at a legit contender for the title. He earned this. He's been on a four-fight win streak. He threw him every guy with hype. And he's shut them all down, and I think he deserves a shot as a legitimate contender. And we should we should uh, pay him that because he's a professional fighter, because he does his job. And I like when those guys get uh, when those guys get their rewards for doing that. So that that was what I thought of that performance, and I was just truly disappointed, in Kevin Holland. Okay, let's go to fake money, real bets, and let's thank <laughs> like I said last uh, the week before, not last week. I did good last week. The week before, it's thank God it's fake money, right? Because mm-hmm. I would be. I'd be asking. I'd be, on the, a lot of I'd be on the corner asking for you know for a few cents. Uh, so Virgil Ortiz over Hooker minus one thousand. Uh, I bet two hundred k on that. I won twenty k. Right. I also bet Ortiz by KO, TKO, or DQ. Fifty k won eighteen k. So good. You know, good start. Then I I won on uh, Beardbev versus Denine's two hundred k to win ten k. Why? Because I like free money and I took free money there and on that you fight. Needed it. And I needed it. Now we're, this is where it's one south. Galaki over Okoli. Two rounds in, I knew I was in trouble on that one. Bet hundred k to win two eighty two hundred eighty five. Lost hundred k. Kevin Holland over Brunson. That was just the longest five rounds of my life. Uh, bet two hundred eighty k on that. So I started this week at 836K. I am now down to 498K. <laughs> I'm at half the money I started with at a million dollars. Jesus. I know, I know. It's not great. And it's, I got to reshake, I got to rethink this whole strategy of betting, right? Now, I don't want to just take gimmies all the time and take 10 grand here and there. That's not, that's not what I'm in the game for. I'm mm-hmm. in the game because I feel like I can spot winners. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a good week for ah! me. See, there's my dog. See, when I told you he's bad, this is on cue. This is what he's, he's doing. just biting a bone playing. Yeah. He's biting me right in the ass. That's no, what he's, he's doing not. right now. Okay. He, bit me <laughs> he literally bit you in the ass. <laughs> okay. But this is uh I got we got good fights this week. You got Nagano rematch. You got the Dylan White rematch. It's a ba- it's a battle of heavyweight rematches this weekend. I can't wait to get into it. Thank you guys. It's been the Mouthpiece Podcast. Please uh review it. Five stars. Please like and su- follow, subscribe. Wherever you can do on Spotify that's positive, please do. <laughs> Right, and guys. on everything else too. Yes, and Twitter. go to YouTube and follow um, the, the Way In podcast. Thank you guys. Bye. <laughs>